Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. How you going, mate? Well, thanks. All the better to be here chatting with you today. Likewise, mate. Likewise. Um, what's been happening? It's been about a month since I've spoken to you on the show. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I guess we've. I guess since we last talked, the uh, the big rebound started losing its legs, and we and we had a few more jitters lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. And then we in had... the last few days, it, it yeah, it's been up and down, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, then we had the Bank of England come out and do some shenanigans, and yeah, stocks ripped when. Uh, the RBA came out and upped rates just by 0.25 or 25 basis points. So, um, yeah, did you see that coming? I don't know. Like, I know you bottom up, mate, but we're going to talk about top down today. So, did you see that coming? Uh, I did. I don't even try to see what the next actual rates decision will be. I try to make the decisions about uh, interest rates and um, inflation on like a lower, slower timeline that sort of guarantees that I'll be uh slow to react i guess but just because mm. i don't want to be overreactive to to these things because what really matters it's okay if you're on the wrong side of some rates movement that's like a short-lived thing like didn't we have something on in 2018 or whatever remember yeah. i remember there was a sell-off it wasn't too brutal or anything but at the time you know mm. people were starting to get the jitters uh but then it just powered on so i don't want to be reacting too quickly to that kind of thing so I still maintain that we're in a new kind of regime uh, from what we were in 2021. You know, we had like massive amounts of money, low inflation, low interest rates. They just kept the interest rates low, even though the obvi- the like the economy, if you just look around you, was just obviously pumping. Mm. Uh, just remember the days when like every second mate you knew had like made a few thousand dollars on crypto. Did that <laughs> happen to you as well? Yeah. And then um, even recently, like they've made a... They made a doco on Netflix about GameStop. And I was just thinking, okay. Like, the top is definitely are, in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those days are gone for GameStop traders and speculators. Like, it's, um, you know, when that's happening, that it's a rare occasion. And yeah, I just, yeah, I like, think it must have been like six months like ago a- that I was like, to, to my normal life friends that aren't interested in finance, just be like, look, if you have money in crypto, just remember it's a speculation. And, uh, <laughs> Wherever you're storing that money could go bankrupt. 
<laughs> yeah, we've definitely seen that. I, I can't remember. I think one of them with pause withdrawals the other day, like one of the big names. I don't follow it that closely. I've got basically all of my one NFT in uh, uh, OpenSea, and that's about it. And I think the I'm one down that 90, I liked ninety-five percent. Tracked, tracked the most was one called um, Tulip Coin Protocol because I figured that that was the the stupidest crypto that that ever <laughs> um, got made. And get, yeah, that thing got back, launched. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's like this is a crypto named after the the dumbest bubble in the history of mankind. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like with the launch of Tulip Protocol, crypto finally surpassed tulips as the dumbest bubble of all time. Yeah, for those of you that can't remember back a few hundred years ago, uh, tulips were all the rage and. Um, early days of the first crypto boom was basically like if you just overlaid those those charts I don't know if it was a chart crime or not at the time but you could just overlay <laughs> those charts and they almost looked like the perfect thing like crypto leading up to 2017 and tulip prices way back in the day but hey mate we're gonna we're gonna talk about actually a, one chart that you like shared recently with um, a rich life readers and, and supporters and I thought this would be like a really good jumping off point for a lot of investors who are thinking like particularly like active investors who are thinking like small caps are have been beaten up even like large cap us uh more growth oriented stocks have been absolutely walloped so um people are just thinking like how do i develop a framework for dealing with this type of thing and how can i think about when i should be investing um, or if i should be investing like i've seen a lot of stuff around like don't fight the fed uh, like comments around like basically it's so hard you're not going to win um but i feel like just part of me thinks that like there is a time and a place to invest and um like we can blend the the, the top down with bottom up and like have some actionable steps in place so this is like a, clearly i'm not the only one because you came out and said you know there are basically 10 signs that will make me want to buy stocks and i'll link to the post in in the show notes for anyone that wants to read it it's uh it's great because you included a chart there mate which is basically showing like the market not the market cycle but i guess like i don't know what do you call that like in the, the psychology of the market yeah a market sentiment cycle actually where does that chart come from i really need to re reference it uh i've written somewhere uh, it's a, some sort of educational provider i think uh mm. and look I mean, the basic idea doesn't belong to anyone. It's just the idea of, of sentiment changing over time. Uh, the illustration itself is is good because it has the, the words that sort of talk you through it, which are, you know, sort of starting at the midpoint on the way up, you have optimism, then excitement, thrill, euphoria, uh, denial, as mm. um, it comes <laughs> off, anxiety, fear, uh, depression, panic, capitulation despondency skepticism and then so despondency is the bottom there yeah uh, skepticism is the you know feeling people feel when it maybe starts to come off the bottom and people are all like oh do we trust it of course and then hope relief and optimism and you start and, again yeah that's right so, so if you look back yeah, on 2021 like or even yeah, we're far enough past like... the peak now, right? Where we can identify the peak. I mean, I mean, people say, "Oh, you can never um, pick the the peak 
or or the very bottom and that's true you can't pick it at the time but you can look back in the course of history and be like yeah that was the peak of that sentiment cycle Mm. and i think you know sometime i think you know markets aren't market prices stock prices aren't necessarily in sync with the actual sentiment cycle but i would still argue that uh they are like a reflection of it to a large degree so i think it's fair to say sometime around the end of 2021 was sort of the peak of the sentiment stuff and i can remember the feeling myself looking at my portfolio of quite high you know high price growth stocks and just not being able to justify the valuation yet fighting the irresistible urge to just like you know choo choo get on it you know not sell a single share it's like going up it's going up you know Every time I'd sold previously, it, it had turned out to be, you know, too low and the thing keeps on going higher. You know, it's your own psychology is self-reinforcing because, you know, on the way up last year, in 2021, I mean, if you sold some shares in a high price stock that's a high quality business on some, you know, really high PE multiple, and if you sold those shares in July... You could well be looking at, you know, the shares be 25% higher by the time we got to October, November. Mm. And so Easy. every time you've sold on valuation, it, it's it's been kind of wrong. Yeah, there's always been this feeling of, it seems like over the last, at least, I guess, and maybe this is just like um, symptomatic of all bull markets, but it seems like the last few years for a lot of investors, it's been like, okay, let's focus less and less and less on valuation because we're in a new era, like this time it's different, right? And um, I think, like we, like you said, you maybe you can't pick, I, I believe you can't pick the bottom or the top perfectly. Like some people would probably carry on and say that you could. But um, I think for most people, looking back on late 2020, 2021, some of that stuff was just crazy. Like I'm looking at my JPEG, yeah. otherwise known as an NFT. And I'm- <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so good. We're going to talk about your JPEG forever. Like it's going to be funny. How much can, how much can you pay? Did you pay for it? You tell us? Uh, not that much. It's only 600 bucks. But it's- before. Only 600 yeah. bucks. Mate. I'm going to screenshot it. So can you send me a screenshot? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> And I think it's uh, the current offer on OpenSea is about, I think it's about 30 bucks. So nice. Tax I loss. Mean, now the ATO wants to tax them. The NFT. <laughs> Nobody else has the NFT but you, man. That's it. Yeah. So it's me. I'm legit. Identify me. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, we're making a bit of fun. I'm sure there's some use case out of Web3. But um, I think that's like, I, I was watching this, just briefly watching this doco on GameStop. And you could tell that. You know that that those emotions which you mapped out there on that 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 emotional kind of like cycle is like euphoria. People were saying in that that they woke up and they were like like fifty thousand dollars richer, you know, than they had been a week earlier, and they were just like blown away by this. These are people that have never invested before in their lives, right? When I say investors, like quotation marks. So, and then like you can track like I think there was like a a thing like the Reddit guy. Uh, he came out and posted like updates from like portnoy i don't know if you know who he is it's like a oh, YouTuber yeah, yeah. Like, i saw yeah. that i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yeah and it shows like over a few and years the, the tone of it changing <laughs> yeah the tone of it like his updates were just like changing over time and um, he's like i'm better than buffett it's the best thing and it's like yes. he just lent into the hubris so hard yeah so, so that would have been the thrill part of it and, yeah. <laughs> and then the euphoria when he's made some gains and then on the way back down like i mean it's all I think he'd say it's all like tongue in cheek and whatever, but um, 
you know, like a lot of people are feeling, I would say, I don't know if we try and just like pick it right now, I would say a lot of people are in that cycle of like, they're on the way down. And if they're not on the way down, like, what are they thinking? So like, just to recap on some of these emotions, you start with denial, anxiety, fear, then you slip into like depression, panic, capitulation, and despondency at the bottom. Um, And so the worst possible thing you can do, which will probably mean you'll take a lifetime to like get over your mild PTSD from investing in the share market is to sell in that despondence stage, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, and to be you... fair, most people won't because most people are despondent. They've like completely stopped. They've con- completely stopped logging in, right? It's the capitulation mm. really when the people, the last people that are going to give up, give up. And then despondency, you just stop logging in. And I feel like for some people, like the way that I think you can survive a cycle as well is just to switch straight to despondency <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and just don't do the panic and capitulation thing. But th- you have to watch out because, you know, if you haven't already panicked, you might, the panic might come at some point mm. and you probably, if you're actually selling in a panic, um, it's really a coin toss of whether that's going to be a good decision or not. Um, it would depend on the exact situation. But you definitely don't want to be making sell decisions in a panic. Mm. I think a lot of people, right? Well, yeah, everyone notices this. There's always someone that's like waiting for something. There's a, um, you know, it's going to crash. I'll wait until X. And I find that a lot of investors, uh, they look forward and they say, um, you know, the market's about to crash. But then they look backwards and they say, well, that was the best time to invest. And like the a lot of the time, the emotional that constraints that come with that just do not lend themselves to identifying those moments so maybe if we um, jump into these 10 things mate like around about like how you've thought about this from an economic perspective and how that then informs your bottom research like because we're not neither of you here to say hey we're going to tell you exactly when the market's bottomed and everything's going to be good from that moment on but like even just having some of these signals i think was really valuable for a framework yeah so, so the reason just... i the reason i do the the signals is because the longer i've invested the more mm. i've realized that it's so hard like the the phrase it's, it's a quote from somebody else not me but it's basically like when it's time to buy you won't want to and yeah. that i think that the one of the things that i really realized coming out of the you know the the flash crash kind of that we had at the beginning of 2020 was um I started buying, there weren't enough times when I just like sucked it up and bought something, basically. Yeah. I wasn't super consistent with that. I did do some buys and they were really, really good buys. But, you know, there was some massive missed opportunities there with like absolute layups with high quality businesses that I knew were going to be around no matter what. They weren't going to go to zero. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not talking about flinging money at like some loss making idea stock that, you know, could have massive great potential, but like also could just full go to zero. I'm talking about stuff you where you actually know it's not going to go to zero. It might go down more, but it's not going to go to zero. It's still going to be around it trying mm-hmm. to exist. And so the the sort of this generic idea now that I'd have where I like I want to buy 10 stocks. When I see these 10 things, this will this will create up to 10 occasions where I'll just make sure I'll buy some stocks even if I don't feel like it. Um, and the idea is just to have like an automatic system that, that makes this happen. Now, I've probably made many of them, um, you know, they're not ideally designed, 
necessarily. And, and I'll continue in my own time adding to my list of things like that will make me want to buy stocks. But the basic idea is that I'm looking for signs that we are close-ish to, to um, the, the, some kind of inflection point where things are at least on one measure of it going to improve. So th- there's in, in some ways, you know, in the markets, the most dangerous, what, the time when you don't really want to be buying is when something bad is about to happen. Like now, what can also happen is that that sort of gets priced in into the buildup to the bad thing happening. And then when the actual bad thing does happen, um, sometimes the markets might not even, you know, go down on that day because it's fully priced in. And, and maybe the, oftentimes in some ways, the bad thing happening that everyone's been fearing, that can sometimes be the bottom because then the thing mm. that everyone's been worried about is like out of the way and everyone knows it's an 100% truth. And then, it, you know, it's, it's more about what's happening next. So it's always that forward looking thing. So sometimes the, ha- the bad happenings can be at least approximate the, the bottom of the cycle in some ways. And that's how you, that's how these things happen. Right. Because let's just imagine uh, this is the last little metaphor to paint it. Cause I'm sure everybody understands what we're talking about, but just mm. imagine you had one guy that is always looking at price to sales ratios. And he always just cares about price to sales ratio. The only time he'll analyze a stock is he's like, Oh yeah. What 10 times price to sales. That's good for, you know, this other ones at 20 or 40. And yep. he just, that's the only way he looks at stocks. And even in times like now, he's going to be sitting there being like, Oh, four times price to sales. It's crazy low. Never even <laughs> talks about profit. There's another guy who literally will only talk about free cash flow or profit. And he'll never even look at the revenue growth or anything. The only thing he cares about is free cash flow growth. And, you know, in the, in the good times, he's like, oh, that's at 50 times free cash flow. No way. No, no interest in that. And, you know, I can hardly find anything good that's on four times free cash flow or whatever he pays. This day and age, he's like excited about the stuff that's on low cash flow. Like those two guys are always going to have that opinion. What's happening in the markets is there's a horde of people who one day they're like more listening to the free cash flow guy. But then another day, a year later, they're more listening to the the price to sales guy. And the sentiment in the market is the is the sociological herd of people moving from one to another. And it's self-reinforcing because if you have just spent the last six months listening to the price to sales guy who was banging on about buying, you know, software stocks at whatever mm. multiple in, in December last year, you've lost 50%. So you're like, yeah, I might go and listen to this price, like this cash flow guy who was, you know, got long the coal companies and he's like done really well. And so mm. more people are follow- going to that guy and that pushes up all of those stocks relative to the, um, you know, to the may- maybe more growth stocks that, are- that don't have a profit yet. And that's the sociological trend at the moment. We're in a trend where things are going towards that, the, the price to, to the cash flow guy, basically. Mm. And that's fine. But, uh, you know, that that's just like another interesting way to think about it. And, you would sort of say when you're going to be have the most conservative market when every it's maximum cash flow, like all of those, everybody mm. loves the value investing again. You know, that might be another sign. It's time to just deploy. It's bull, it's a bullish sign because if all of the optimism has just gotten sucked out of the market, then that, you know, creates the setting for when the, when the tide goes the other way. 
I haven't heard that before. I haven't heard where... I, li- I literally just made it up then, so... <laughs> I, I promised you some exclusive content. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's great. No, like, but the first bit is also equally valid for people that um, don't understand that the market is forward-looking, right? So, and this is not just the stock market, it's any market, it's the bond market, it's the economic market, it's just every market is forward-looking. So, like, when interest rates from the RBA and they go up 0.25%, that's a good thing. But like six months yeah. ago, they went up by 0.25%. The world is coming undone, right? So it's those expectations that are so important. So um, yeah, you've given me an extra one there. And all listeners can um, think about these two different people. And also that the consideration around style drift as well, which happens a lot, like a lot of people don't have a plan. So they kind of just blow in the wind, like they don't have a yeah. framework or process. And that's very, yeah. in my opinion, that's very dangerous to invest that way, um, to just invest and be like, yeah, I'm growthy today. And then tomorrow you wake up, you're like, oh, no, growth is not good. Like, yeah, whatever you're doing, you have to understand it in, try to understand it in the context of what's going on overall, because mm. whatever you do, just understanding things helps to stave off that panic. So um, that's another thing, like, you know, I had long ago cut my exposures to you know loss making tech stocks but i also made that decision back when i was cutting most of them um that after i'd finished the sort of my phrase of cutting and getting ready i was just going to you know pretty much bag hold the rest because i don't want to sell like a high risk idea i have that's a tiny part of my portfolio right at that like despondency stage when everybody hates mm. a, a high risk money losing company yeah, sure. Like it is probably a bad, a bad bet, but it's the kind of thing that can just go up massively if it turns out okay from those real sentiment lows. So, sure. but then the thing that I think everyone can do, and sort of perhaps leads on to our next subject a little bit, is first of all, like everyone can have their own signs, and then second of all, everyone have have those companies that. Well, this is what I my approach is. Have those companies that you have a lot of faith in and you definitely know there's a price at which you want to buy those companies mm-hmm. and then figure out what that price is. And so that's the big that's the big one as well. Like once things, it's like a promise to myself, like if this becomes available at this price, I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to lower it again and be like, oh no, I'm waiting for a lower place. I'm mm-hmm. always trying to, you know, because that's like that obsession against about picking the bottom and that can make you like miss out on it because sure, every okay. time there's an up, there'll be like a jag up and you're like, oh, you know, and it's just this full of this emotional ride, basically. So that's the other strategy is just have the pre-decided prices and, and the things. But like before we move on to to different to this to stocks that you might be thinking of, um, I thought I'd just chuck out a, a couple of the um, signs that I would look for. So one of the yeah, ones that I look for is uh, basically companies that I think are that loss-making tech ones going that don't have any kind of obvious value so value so very hard to see them being profitable because usually they're in a competitive industry or they're too small or whatever um i've listed a bunch of them um on the article that we talked about but i don't know if i'll like name drop them all because i'll probably just annoy a bunch of people but i've got my (laughs) list of um you know i'll say one yeah like you know for example which i've often said about is like sezzle and before pay those Mm -hmm. like the (laughs) the worst of the BNPL kind of craze, you know, those are the ones when they stop trading or like get taken over or just stop being a thing. Um, 
go into suspension, run out of money or something like that. When in the, those kind of companies, when every time one like dies, I have to work on my definition of dies, but that's essentially what it means. Every time one dies, it's like, got to buy a stock. I have to that day buy a stock, you know? What a counterpoint. Well, you know what? You said like in the article, you said these loss-making micro and small caps with no discernible business mode when they cease mm. trading go bankrupt or are taken over well dubbers ceased trading this week so it was suspended yeah, exactly <laughs> so i was wondering if dubber counts as one i have to buy yet like because it's it's making me wonder now when i talk about because it it's suspended but that, that's what well perhaps you can help me how long should i give it before it counts well i feel like a suspension is involuntary most of the time like this isn't involuntary like they haven't yeah but sometimes they account. people yeah, it's true. And that's why that's why I say I think the, the clock is ticking for them. But sometimes, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be almost enough to declare it now because I feel like a two-day suspension, <laughs> that's the kind yeah. of thing you just w- put under the rug or whatever. But two weeks, I think maybe should be the limit or something. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, just to be clear what Claude was saying before, he's not saying he's going to buy Dubber. He's saying he's going to buy no, something no, no. else. <laughs> a, a better, a way better stock. Not not <laughs> buying the ones that are, that are dying. Yeah. just so, noting their death and mourning it by buying a living and continuing to live company yeah i mean yeah so i feel like yeah, that's like you know, that's a strong sign i mean even if they survive right like that that's a very bad sign for a company so um it shows that funding's dry, drying up as well so it becomes more of a thing where the stronger companies that have cash on the balance sheet actually can then go and like start you know having checking out um, you know, what mm. the options are. I mean, gosh, you know, one thing people forget about a company we both own, um, Prometicus, is that it built itself on a uh, business that it bought off another business at mm. pretty much the depths of the GFC not long after or around then. And just by having that cash and being willing to buy something that was not yet profitable or not as profitable for, for the seller, that short-term, long-term kind of vision. That's where the strong companies have an advantage. So every time there's like a, a flush out of this situation, it's possible that it creates the big winners of, well, I believe it does create mm. the big winners. And this is the ideal time to buy um, the highest quality businesses because the if you're buying towards the point of maximum opportunity where there's despondency, then it just stacks the odds in your favor. Uh, that you'll you'll get one very 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 right for sure and a lot of the companies i think what's most important is my big regret is during the flash crash of covid 2020 i didn't have that active list of things that i wanted to buy my life was a bit i was a bit preoccupied with other stuff in the business but um i just wish i had that list like i remember and i think it is it also requires you to just accept that there there are going to be things you don't know and you know, we, we always invest not knowing what the future holds exactly, but during those times is when it feels even harder. Like it doesn't feel right. And I think that's probably a key sign as well. If like it hurts to make that long-term investment, it's probably, you know, you're probably approaching it the right way. And um, a good yeah. example for me was Square slash Block. Like I looked at that during COVID. I'm like, this thing's going to blow up. No one's yeah, going that to was exactly what I thought as yeah. well. And I'm like, look at all this balance sheet. Like, this sucks. I'm not touching this thing. And an afterpay like, for me. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. it's gone. And then, <laughs> like four or five bag from there. I'm like, whoa, did not ex- yeah. see that coming. So like, um, you know, th- at the time I was like very rational about like in a bad market, this thing's going to be 
very bad. But it's not about getting everyone correct, I guess, as well. Um, one of the things that you asked me to prepare for the show today was like what I would be waiting for. And to be honest, like I'm actually what I was waiting for was what we kind of have seen in the past week, which is the RBA come out with an announcement and people would be like, whoa, this isn't okay. This, this isn't as bad. Like this is, I thought it was going to be worse, but what I mean by that, like, I don't think we're out of the woods by any means, but I think that the market saw that. And I was watching Bloomberg at the time when this came out and they were like crossing to like Europe and all this sort of stuff. And they're like, you know, basically, did you just see what happened in Australia? Does that set a sign? Like, is that a sign for what happens you know, around the world and everyone's like, nah, probably not because overseas is pretty buggered at the moment. But that type of thing where we see forward expectations reverse pretty quickly is uh, interesting to me. And I think if you get a few of those in a row, um, it doesn't take long for people to start thinking, okay, well now what? Like we're probably still deep in that despondency slash skepticism stage, but how do we yeah, come see, out this of is it? The thing you, you, you always got to pick it like, I, for example, like I don't know exactly where we are now, obviously, but I think um, that I what I'm looking for isn't just the expectations changing necessarily. Like I'm actually looking because well, there's one risk that, for example, like they could slow the cuts of interest rate increases and then have to speed them up again. Mm. And I think that there's some precedent for that in the like distant past where inflation there's been more of a battle with inflation it hasn't just been like a oh yeah inflation interest rates up oh inflation goes back to two percent just like that uh so that's why i'm really looking for actual in inflation coming down basically yeah, and even inflation. when that does i'm not I, even though i will buy when that happens i also am still aware that inflation itself could come back down and then go back up but i do think that you know in the next cup in the next few years like inflation will be a lot lower and at some i would hope that that's sooner rather than later but even if like inflation bounces around a bit then interest mm -hmm. rates could end up also bouncing around and i feel like this the wild swings of expectation will definitely happen one way or another like it'll be rare that the market doesn't react because it's just uncertainty creates volatility mm. uh but yeah i i think that the point is that there's no one sign that's going to be like, all right, this is the bottom. You're all in. You're just looking for like little things to tick off. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, there are many different things like um, other things, like the thing that caught me off guard last week was the bank of England, but more specifically the UK government. I mean, no one probably could have predicted that the government would come in and just be like, we're cutting taxes, giving everyone money. And we're not sure how we're going to borrow it in the middle of a crisis that has high inflation already. So it's like, um, that's... Yeah, that's you know, that, super bizarre. Yeah. Um, and so like those types of things happen and you think just, wow. Um, so anything can happen really. But mate, like you've, you've also got... I wanted to tie this kind of like emotional kind of journey that markets tend to go on against some companies. Now you've, you've given... Uh, for supporters of A Rich Life, you've given six names, I think from memory. Um, but... Maybe if we can just highlight two companies that, one from you, one from me, that would be on that watch list and would be something that I would like to own at a certain price. Um, and when I'm ready to buy, I would be happy to put this in a portfolio. So uh, did you want to go first and then maybe I'll share mine? Yeah, for sure. I'll go first, but I like, I like yours as well. And I really need to 
uh, I agree with it being on that list, even though it's not on my list. So the, the one that I came up with actually is probably one of the more the riskier ones that I would put on my list of like definite mm. companies I want to buy. But it, it's a new entrant into that wish list, uh, which is RPM Global, which is also mm. great to talk about with you because you, mm. have, you and I have both looked at this company for a long time. You were way quicker to get behind it than I was. I st- I stuck out of it for years because I stubbornly didn't like their coal testing. Business. Yes, yes, yeah. That's why I'm surprised just... to see it on your list. Yeah, look, I mean, I like that they divested that. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. It's also just that, like, I've just decided that, you know, I always thought I was never that against them, which is why I covered them and had previously pre- mm. previously recommended them pretty much um, years ago for yeah, years in my ago. old job at, at 40 cents per share because it, yeah. it was one of those classics where, somebody's selling out by the 30th of june so i think we put the right i remember like rushing to get the recommendation written mm-hmm. so i could get it out in time for people to buy on the 30th of june when i somebody was selling huh. uh and so yeah that was a good one but rpm global is it's really just coming into its own its business has massively improved over the last few years mm-hmm. um you backed it a, a fair bit and I think rightly so, but it's actually still great to see that this transition to a high quality business with more recurring revenue is has really taken off. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of just see that if you just look at how the the recurring revenue has gone consistently up while actual revenue has uh, flatlined, like flatlined a little bit or it's gone up slowly. Yeah. And, and this is just a classic pattern recognition you see in the markets where uh, initially, you know, a company basically... It wants a million dollar. It has a million dollar contract. It gets paid a million dollars upfront, and then get paid a hundred k for the next ten years in maintenance. So it put it used to put through one million revenue on day one, basically, and it has those contracts that need to renew. But when they renew it, they renew it as two hundred and fifty k a year. So over the course of ten years, they'll get they'll get. Um, 2.5 million, uh, 2.5 million rather than just 2 million. But in year one, they replace an, what would have been an a million dollar contract with a 250k subscription fee. So whilst you're in the process of converting customers like this, that you know that's what happens to your revenue. So on top of that, it's sort of at this point you would expect quite reasonably that it has now like in the next year, FY 2023, I'm expecting hopefully it makes a a little bit of a profit and then then strong profit growth from there as operating leverage kicks in yep and so i also feel like there's there's a timing inflection point which means it would be super handy if it did get to a a slightly lower price uh in the next few months if there's sort of this generalized sell-off to i guess loss-making tech companies which it uh i think technically still is so yeah it is yeah so that's like, yeah, well, it is that. So at the same time, maybe it could be a baby that's flo- thrown out with the bathwater. And look, I don't think it has to, it, I'd just love to see it come down a little bit. My, my, you know, obviously things could change between now and whenever, every time we get results, new news is news. But basically I've sort of jotted down for this one that my price to to buy more of it, because I already own it, would be about $1.07 to $1.18. Mm. roughly so if it gets there you know i'll i'll just be like okay i you know have to try and get my permissions through and stuff so i can buy this one now (laughs) um but 
so there's no guarantees I'll do that, but that's just like my intention setting sort of now. Yeah. And um, yeah, you'd be surprised. Like, of course, there's no guarantees that it actually ever gets down to that. And it's been surprisingly resilient in the face of the recent sell-off. Mm, uh, but yeah, you never know. You get that capitulation. Somebody's just selling. I think there's still a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of potential for uh, loss-making tech to, to remain on the nose for quite some time. Um, just because it takes so much more like sort of faith to be like, yeah, the free cash flows will justify this when you can't see the free cash flows today. Mm. I agree. And I think that um, with RPM, like a lot of people was like the, the, the narrative five years ago was like, it's not profitable. How can you invest in this? But then if you just lifted the hood, you would see that the software division is profitable. Now mm. the narrative is it's still not profitable. But then you're like, yeah, but if you lift the hood once again, you can see that it's, growing its subscriptions rapidly even though the top line might not be where you want it to be but then you can also see like that mix is changing and it's becoming more and more higher quality and that's probably what justifies some of the share price that we've seen but maybe not all of it like it's it's i think it's a really well-run business i think there are plenty of risks to it by the way too like it like as you said it's not like perfect so I think for a lot of investors, just be mindful. Like it's still pretty dependent on the, the CEO, Richard Matthews. He's like kind of like the guy that's led him through all of this. Um, it is, you know, it still has to service customers and resources and, and mining. So um, it's, it's not as bad now that we're through COVID. It can go and sell software. But um, for the most part, I think it's becoming higher and higher quality. And I like it. I like it too. So maybe I'll just dive straight into my company, which is... um. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add one more risk. You, yeah, did sure. a, you did an excellent job adding adding um, some sure, info about that. But it's also got a significant advisory business, which is not recurring in nature. Yeah. So you could have an ironic situation where the software business continues to charge on, even in a recessionary environment. But just the fact mm. of the recession might mean that like, the advisory business falls in, into like a loss-making situation, maybe even cancelling it out. So yeah, like... Come on, market. Yeah. Offer me a lower price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that could happen. That's what happened for years. That advisory slash consulting business did mask the overall business. So um, that could continue happening, in which case uh, you would still have you know people that don't lift the hood not see what's actually going on. So um, fair point. Um, my business, which is a business that has continued to go up, even though I don't like other than currency, I don't exactly know like justify the, the reason why it's gone up recently, which is Altium, uh, ASX ticker simple ALU. Um, the company like has a really strong operating track record, been around for decades, but the um, it was probably around about 2012, 2013, similar period, maybe a bit later to um, RPM Global. And it's it, it made that shift from on-premise software to uh, cloud-based software and it's still making that shift. But the key difference between Altium and RPM is that it's already very profitable. And so investors, you know, that's why it's, it's a bigger business. Um, it received a takeover offer not too long ago at $38 or so. So it's still slightly below that. Um, and I, like, I think a fair price to pay when I last did my DCF was around about like $30 Australian. Um, it's now at 37 and the reason why it's gone up, this was a few months ago, the last time I did my DCF, but I think the big reason it's kept going up is because it earns a bucket load of US dollars, right? And the Australian currency has fallen and people are looking for that exposure. So um, Altium 
as far as I'm concerned, is one of the higher quality ASX listed software businesses. And Definitely. yeah, and I think that if you get the chance to buy it at a price that is like you never, I don't think you're ever going to get it for super low. Like if we go back to your analogy of like super low free cash flow multiples or super low even price to sales ratios, I just think, yeah, exactly. But that's why it's like, that this is where Altium and, and a few of these other ones, it's where they're the last bastion of the price to sales guys, right? In a way, <laughs> yeah, like true, I true. don't like, by the way, I do not identify with the price to sales guy, even though like <laughs> I do invest in these companies. Like I bought them on earnings when I could justify that. Yeah. But then I, you know, I hold them because if I, if, I do sell them by the way as well, but it's like, I don't sell out all of these ones because then I just end up having a portfolio of way lower quality companies that wouldn't let me sleep at night as much. But yeah, like these are the exact kind of businesses that, you know, Altium is a more classic example of what I'm talking about. Like should have bought it ages ago. Historically have made many mistakes saying it's too expensive. Don't want to be the last guy to buy the euphoria. So just sit Mm. out of it for like a decade watching it go up when I said like, nah, you know, put my bid in at two dollars twenty when the when the share price was two dollars fifty and never got hit, kind of thing. <laughs> yep, yep. It's um, uh, and just it's one of those ones that I've looked at over the years and just haven't got a full position in ever. Like, yeah, and now it's like thirty seven. And like, should yeah. I bid at thirty dollars? <laughs> yeah, it was so to go back to like two thousand. Like this is for long. Some people this is a long time, but like ten years ago, it was like forty cents a share. Yeah. So yeah. put it in perspective. Like this thing is. It exploded. was 60 cents when I first looked at it and it was like $2 something when I first was like, yeah, this looks pretty good. I'd like to buy shares in this, but like just never <laughs> got across the line and did it. Like there's like, like you've got a list of six there. Like I could probably add like another five to that list that are just like really high quality yeah, I'm, companies. I'm definitely going to add to the list. That's like another thing I probably got to try and do. And I don't know when, but like yeah. it's easier to choose the first six than the, than the next six basically. Oh, for sure. Like um, we spoke actually a couple months ago on the pod about um, the different businesses and how to value them. Like we looked at ProMedicus and I think it was Objective Corp. Um, so go back and have yeah, a listen to high, that. Yeah. And they're good high quality ones as well. Yeah. Um, but there are, there are others and there are emerging ones too. So Altium's like the biggest of those these companies, maybe ProMedicus slightly. But, um, you know, this is a real high quality business involved in basically like the the everything becoming smarter so printed circuit boards are everywhere around this um so yeah, like, mate, go go for it no, no, go on go on yeah i was just going to say that um like for anyone that's listening and wants more ideas like this is the time to put all of these companies to learn about these companies put them on your watch list um because i feel like regardless of where we are in the cycle the obvious fact is markets are very volatile right now and so now is the time to do it the work so when it actually comes time to pull to press the button that says buy um you 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 have that conviction and uh, and, and and if anyone really does important. want to learn about these kind of companies not altium but like other kind of high quality profitable growth companies often um you know one hack if you want to find what i've written about them is just write you know the company name and then a rich life reports and you'll find a <laughs> company page that has all of the Become what if we've written about that over the years? So that way you can just follow the story of a company. Mm, that's um, good. And so for some of these ones, like, well, for a variety of companies, you know, we often write up their results and we really need to start coverage of Altium. I've just been putting it off for years because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about it makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got that feeling with a lot of things, mate. And so it, it, the longer you go, I was just chatting to a guy this morning. They're saying like he bought, uh, he bought and sold Nick Scarley at, 
I think he sold it at like six bucks and I don't know what it is now, but it's a long way ahead of that. So there are so many different businesses on the ISX that have just ripped over the last five years. And the rational person sold out years ago and we all just like shake our yeah. fists at the clouds. But um, yeah, it's like I, a lot of these ones, anyway, the, the, yeah, that's the thing is like you do want to own some of these businesses because really if you own a few, a couple of them, it makes life much better as an investor. Yeah, uh, you don't need obviously, these ones we're talking about now, like we're there, we're talking about the ones that like basically we're still looking to see them fall and get sold off with with the market, you know, or whatever. Altium's not that far off its all time peak, you know. Yeah. Um, what was it? It's like about eight. It was over forty bucks. It's down about seventeen percent from its absolute peak, which is not much for this kind of business at all. Not at all. Yeah, and I think that's uh, just RPM Global's taking a bigger, bigger, a bigger hit though. I think. Yeah, it so has. It's like, yeah, it's and it's probably fair that maybe there's more uncertainty on RPM Global. So agreed. Yeah, there's. It's probably fair that it comes off a bit, to be honest. And that's the opportunity for someone that wants to put in the work. And yeah, that's why I'm like, come on, market. This one doesn't even make a profit. Like, freak out a little. <laughs> Punish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it's um. There's and it, so just just to recap and just in closing mate um there are a bunch of other companies on cords list there so if you want to head over to a rich life go and check it out if you're a supporter if not join um and you can i think the, and, but heaps of the content's free as well i was going to so say that that, that one's free i told free, you right? about yeah. googling the company name and, and a rich life that's gonna it's an easy way if you're just interested in a particular company you'll find a lot of the a lot of the older content we make free as well so yeah. usually so if like, you're just trying to get background on a company it could be a good resource it's so like pro medicus a rich life in google is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah, or, yeah, not Altium though. I'm going like, <laughs> to put yeah. an Easter egg on Altium if anyone does it. <laughs> it's going to be like a picture of the Doge dog. Being like, oh, oh. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, it's been heaps of fun chatting to you. Um, I know uh, you're super busy now with a rich life, but um, he's like, he's taking supporters. Are you putting supporters on a wait yes. list? Like, yeah. Yeah, get get on the wait list. We actually did a flash reopen the other day. I was super happy mm. about it because we don't okay. usually do that, but we had like a a sudden influx of people on the wait list. So I was like, hmm. all right. Cool. Okay, so I get an email every time. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll do a quick open. So that was good. I'm happy about that. But um, yeah, definitely keen to um, invite more people in in due course in, in the next few weeks, however long it takes. Cool. Yeah, I'll put links in the show notes, mate. Uh, always a pleasure. So thanks for taking some time to join me. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. 
You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.